Hi all, October is Black History Month in the UK. So with episode four, I am kicking off a mini series all about black love in historical fiction. For all of my episodes so far, I have primarily focused on romantic love, but through this series, I'll be exploring love in all its forms, from the romantic to the platonic, between friends and lovers, and also between family. I love reading and watching these types of stories. If you've listened to my first episode, you'll know that I have an unshakable belief in the power of love and love stories to bring joy and hope into our lives. And that's why I think it's so important for us to see black people in these stories. A lot of the media I consume about the black experience is based in struggle and trauma and our lives and our stories and our loves are so much more than that. So I'm really excited with the four episodes I have out this month. I'll be reviewing black historical fiction from a range of different geographies, time periods, different characters, and also, as I mentioned, different ways of thinking about love. I hope you enjoy hearing about these stories as much as I have enjoyed discovering them and reading about them. I will be honest, historical fiction is not my genre, (laughs) so this has also been a learning curve for me in terms of trying to find books to review and processing how I feel about them and how I think about them, but I've, I've enjoyed it and I hope that you enjoy it too. Welcome to the fourth episode of Love Between the Lines, a review podcast for everyone who loves love. I'm your host, Monsa, and each week I discuss all types of love stories, from old favourites to new releases. For this episode, I'll be reviewing His Treasure, the first book in a three-part series called Men of Valor by Kiru Tai. This is a historical romance novel set in southeastern Nigeria pre-colonisation. I'll be discussing why I definitely need to start reading more historical fiction, friendship as a foundation of marriage, and some of the key themes that can really ruin a book for me. I would like to put a trigger warning on this episode as I touch upon issues relating to sexual assault. Let's get into the review. So I'll be honest with you guys, I haven't read much in terms of historical fiction or historical romance, mainly because I'm more of a contemporary person or fantasy as well as sci-fi. So I just don't read much historical fiction. A lot of that is due to the fact that, particularly when it comes to romance, it's set in these patriarchal societies and I don't really find them very fun to read. There's a lot of scenes that I'm just rolling my eyes at. And particularly when it comes to the depictions of women and their agency with regards to sex and relationships, it just leaves a lot to be desired. I also found that a lot of historical fiction I read is very whitewashed, so I often can't relate to the characters. And yeah, just for the most part, don't find them very enjoyable. But I haven't read much historical fiction since about early to mid 2000s. And I was going to the library and essentially seeing which books caught my eye (laughs) to decide what I was going to read next. Of course, the age we're in now, there's so many different ways to find different books and different stories. So putting together a list for this Black Love by Black History Month series has really opened my eyes to how much I have been missing out. And there's so much more variety now when it comes to historical fiction and historical romance. So I'll definitely be reading more and reviewing more historical fiction and romance on this podcast. To kick off these series, I am reviewing Men of Valor, which is a three-part series written by Kiru Tai. It is a historical romance set in pre-colonial Nigeria 
and each story follows the journey of a couple living in this village. One thing I really liked about these books was the connections between the characters. I love it when you get to see secondary characters in a book that then get their own story. And this is what happened in this book and I think it worked really, really well. I also like that there's overlapping timelines. I think sometimes when you read a series, the books are consecutive. So the first story happens and then the second story and then the third story. I like it when they're quite interlinked and the timelines are overlapping because then when you see characters in one book and it's like, oh, he walked off, it looked like something was troubling him. I know what's troubling you because I just read your story and you've been going through it, so... I get it and I just really like that it makes it seem more real and it fleshes out the characters more so that's something that this series did really well. I'm going to be reviewing the first book in this series which is called His Treasure and yeah let's get into the review. His Treasure follows the relationship of Obina and Adaku. The tagline for this book reads in a time when men ruled their households with firm hands, can a quiet man tame his rebellious wife with persevering love? Can he indeed? I need to kick off by saying that of all the male characters in this Men of Valor series, Obina is my absolute fave. He's sweet, he's sexy, he's considerate. He's really given us that no-nonsense, big dick energy. His characterization is so on point. As I was reading this book, I was like, Adaku, I'm so confused as to why you're not claiming your husband. Please, if you don't want him, send him my way. And I am clearly not the only one who thinks this in the book, as we can tell from the story. So when we begin our story, we discovered that his wife, Adaku, is absolutely fuming because she has essentially been pressured into marrying Obina by her parents, mainly her father. She was caught in somewhat of a compromising position with another man in the village and to save face in the community she was told to marry Obina. It's made very clear from the outset that Adaku is a very beautiful and desirable woman so she's pissed for two reasons. One because she didn't get to marry the man she wanted to marry at the time. He's the one that was putting her in compromising positions and two your girl had options she had men at her feet trying to marry her. She had prospects. She had a lot going on for her. But her dad essentially accepted the first proposal that came her way after this incident. So she is not a happy bunny. On their wedding night, she essentially shuns Obina. And the story is her trying to come back from that. There was a huge rift between them. One she wished she could bridge, yet wasn't sure how to do so. At one point, she thought he hated her. He was simply a proud man and she disrespected him with her attitude on their wedding night. You will have to force me because I will never be yours, even if you were the last man on earth. He watched her silently before speaking, his cold voice sending an icy shiver down her spine. As you wish, Adaku, I will not touch you, but you will remain my wife in every other sense. So that's Adaku's cross to bear where she really came in strong on that wedding night and a year later she's regretting her decision and doesn't really know how to backtrack. And Obina, on the other hand, has been in love with Adaku from day dot. One thing that really comes through in this book is his absolute yearning for Adaku. Your boy is in love. He lightly brushed her lips with his. I have craved you every day since the first time I saw you. Bars absolute bars and this is not the only time that we see him 
saying lovely things about her. So there's other one-liners, for example, when he comes home from work and Najafi greets him. Joy filled his heart just as her sweet voice filled his ears. Super cute. So as we can see, they're at odds in their relationship, had a rocky start, and they've been married for a year now and haven't really found a way to resolve their issues. So let's talk a bit more about the characters. So as I've already told you, Obuna is bae. He's given me strong but gentle vibes and I am absolutely loving it. One thing about Obuna is that your boy can yearn. When we meet him, he is head over heels in love with Adaku, but knows he wasn't her first choice in marriage. He is just this big ball of yearning and unrequited love and unfulfilled sexual desires. Like, bro needs to go take a cold shower because he is stressed and struggling. But we know from hearing his internal thoughts and from the narration that what he feels for her is not just lust, but also is love and affection. He loved to watch his wife sleep. Her chest rose and fell. Her long, dark lashes fanned her cheeks. She was beautiful, alluring, captivating. So that we see a lot in Siobhana's thoughts and it's essentially just describing Adaku as being beautiful, as being fascinating, as being amazing, as being all of these lovely things. He's just in love with his wife. Adaku's character, on the other hand, is a lot more reserved. And that is why she is struggling to backtrack from her initial bold statement that she made on her wedding night. But we see her really start to open up to Obana and also change her perspective. It was difficult to acquiesce to a man she hadn't accepted as her husband. Now she wanted him to be her husband in the full sense. However, she was stuck as to how to ask him without losing face. So she's very willful. She's very prideful. And low-key, she's a bit spoiled because having come from her father's house where she was the eldest daughter, she was used to getting her own way and she's quite childlike in how she tries to push boundaries with him and test him. So while we know that Obana, as I said, is very much in love with her, he also doesn't let her disrespect him in their marriage and he soon lets her know that her antics are not going to run in his house. After she'd nearly arrived at Obana's home, her behaviour had bordered on rude and childish. She'd learned a quick lesson. Her husband was no pushover. She couldn't throw tantrums like she did in her father's house and get away with it. She was no longer the over-pampered first daughter. She was now a wife. So I think there's a lot that could be said about describing Adaku or characterising Adaku purely in terms of her relationship towards a man, i.e. first she's a daughter, now she is a wife. But I don't want to get into all that. So eventually what we see is that they settle into an uneasy truce or friendship and they are living together but not like living, living together as husband and wife. What this means for their relationship is that in the beginning it's one that is more centred around friendship and companionship and to be honest I really like that. I think it sets a strong foundation for them going forward because when they get married they don't really know much about each other and although Obuna is in love with Adaku he's kind of in love with the idea of her rather than the reality of her and he starts to see and accept many of her flaws. He put her on this pedestal, when he talks about her we know he was willing to sell all his land to pay her bride price and he was willing to go to these great lengths in order to marry her and then he marries her and he realises that she's got flaws and she's not perfect and he needed to see that and go on that journey 
Adaka, on the other hand, I think her relationship to Obono is a bit more complicated because he represents the path in her life she didn't really want to take. She wanted different things for herself and because of societal pressure and family pressure, she wasn't able to have them. She's experienced now being a disappointment to her parents and her father when she was a favourite and she's seen her social capital and marriage prospects greatly diminish because of some of the choices that she has made. So I don't think it's so much that she dislikes Obana or that she doesn't necessarily want to be with him. I think he represents things that are very negative for her, which is why initially she is quite resentful. And she kind of needed that year of being married to him in this married but not really <laughs> kind of way to overcome those issues and grow up a little bit and stop projecting onto him all of the bad things that she perceives about her life. So Obuna needs to see Adaku as a full, multi-dimensional human being, and Adaku needs to let go of her resentment in order for them to move forward. And of course, that's exactly what they do, because this is what? A romance. Adaku becomes much more invested in their relationship. Though he didn't say anything, his dark eyes had softened. For the first time since they were bound, pleasing him suddenly mattered to her. So we start to see Adaku's attitude to Obuna change, Whereas before, it was very much one of conflict and opposition. Now, she is invested in making him happy. And we already know from reading Obuna's perspective that he was already invested in making her happy and always already trying to make her happy. I really like the writing in this book and across all the books in the series. The world building is really well done. We get to see a lot of the customs, festivals and traditions that take place in the village and this helps communicate why the characters are making the choices they're making while also giving us a fuller picture of the lives that they're living here. The writing is also very descriptive of the setting so I felt like over the course of the three books I was really able to build up a very vivid image in my mind of what the village looked like, how it was laid out, the characters and secondary characters that were living there and the time that they were living in. One thing I really did like about this book as well was the intensity with which it described a lot of the yearning and longing that these characters are feeling for one another. In the beginning it's very one-sided because it's Obana essentially just sitting around <laughs> wanting his wife to fall in love with him but once Adaku starts to develop more feelings for him she also comes through with these intense emotions and I really I think the writing does very well in communicating that. His earthy scent filled her lungs. His eyes had such intensity, his gaze piercing through to her soul. She felt exposed, vulnerable, though she was still fully clothed. She wanted to reveal all to him, wanted him to see straight into her heart and know what was in there. So I think the book just does really well in showing the intensity of Obana and Izaku's relationship and the build-up to it works very well, especially in seeing Adaku's journey in, I suppose, being awakened to her feelings of love and lust for her husband. There are still quite a few things in this series and in this book in particular that I did not like. The first one is that one of the key plot devices used to help Adaku on her journey to discovering her feelings for Obana was bringing in the risk of his eyes being swayed by another woman. In general, I don't like storylines that rely on this woman versus woman or women being in competition with each other over a man. 
I think it's so overplayed in media and stories and all sorts of things depicting women as being in competition with one another and I just felt that it wasn't really necessary to the story and kind of the book (laughs) in general to be honest didn't really endear me to Adaku or Obana or so the issue that Adaku is shown as having is that obviously because they haven't been getting busy for the past year there's expectations with regards to if she's able to produce children or not and it is suggested that he will find a way to remedy that situation her husband was going to take another wife she had no one else to blame but herself she hadn't realized how much it would hurt until it happened now she felt as if her heart was breaking so again i don't really like the whole pitching a woman against another woman aspect of the storyline i definitely feel that adaku could have gone on the journey she needed to to realize her feelings for obana in a way that didn't involve feeling jealous or threatened by another woman so it just seemed unnecessary to me the second thing i didn't like was the hyper value placed on adaku's virginity or the portrayal of women's sexuality as something a man can claim on his own so in the story Obina makes a big deal about Adaku being a virgin and again we're supposed to read this as a redeeming quality of Adaku when we discover that the compromising position that she was discovered in wasn't as compromising as originally implied so this is seen as a good thing but also it's seen that Obina not knowing this and still being willing to marry her is what makes him a good man and dis- eventually discovering she is a virgin is supposed to be his reward. Though it had hurt his ego to think another man had touched her, his love for her had surpassed the pride. He'd wanted her regardless. To finally be rewarded by being the first man to fully claim her was the best gift he could have wished for. It sealed his assumption they had been destined to be together. So it's just like unnecessary. It was really unnecessary. Most of the things that I'm mentioning that I didn't like were so unnecessary. The story held up on its own without it. If you stripped them out, the story would still be a good story. So the insistence of including these types of themes and these types of tropes, I felt made the story worse rather than made it better. So after they resolve their issues and it's all hunky-dory, he loved her smile. It left him feeling euphoric and reminded him that he'd indeed been her first lover. So Obana just spends all this time thinking about how he was the first one to pop Adaku's cherry and I'm like, relax, relax, it's not that deep. So that was the second thing that I didn't like about the book. And then the third thing, which is probably the worst, (laughs) is the praising of men for doing the bare minimum in their relationships as in by not being a horrible monster we're supposed to be like wow such a good man and this comes through in how the book portrays Obana's character and how we're supposed to understand the evidence we're given to believe that he is a good man for the first time she realized Obana truly cared for her she knew of men who would have forced themselves on their rebellious wives and punished them too A woman couldn't deny her husband. Obana had chosen patience and kindness. In the end, he'd won her over because she knew he was a good man at heart. (sighs) So this part really, really did not sit well with me. 
We are constantly reminded that even though Adaku refused to sleep with Obana on their wedding night, he didn't try to force her and hasn't tried to force her at any point in their marriage. So the book goes to great lengths to let us know that this would have been acceptable at the time. So apparently Obana deserves a medal or pats on the back for not being a rapist. The idea is to paint Obana as a good man and a good husband and honestly I think it does his character a great disservice. I already like Obana's character because through the things he says and does we see him to be considerate, thoughtful, sensitive to his wife's needs and he shows a genuine desire to make her happy. So I don't understand why the book goes to great lengths to hammer home this point and communicate that he is a good man because he didn't force his wife to have sex with him. Of course he shouldn't force his wife to have sex with him. He doesn't deserve praise for that. And this is one reason I do not read historical fiction or have not read it much in the past because these are the types of plot devices that I have seen a lot and I'm just not here for it. It's so unnecessary, it's so not needed and yeah, this really ruined the book for me to be honest because it's something that comes up a lot. It's not just that passage or that paragraph we are left in no doubt that this is supposed to be brownie points that we're given to Obana and it's not needed and that's not to say that you wouldn't see something like this in other genres I know that you do and I also don't like those books but it's a really big negative for me on this book that this was included and as I said it wasn't even necessary to the story I'm already a huge fan of Obana's character I already think he's portrayed very well and if you just removed that aspect and removed that commentary the story still holds up and you still think he's an amazing character and an amazing guy so it actually does him a disservice to keep bringing this up and still and keep making it seem as though he deserves pats on the back for not being a monster but overall I did like this book I gave it a three stars and I would read more of this author. I would also read the book again, which is a sign for me that I enjoyed it. I liked the characters. I liked the growth in their relationship. I liked all the yearning and sexual tension. Some of the scenes are definitely very steamy. So if that's your jam, pick up this book because I was a fan. As I said, the world building is done really well. The description of the setting is done really well. The writing, I think, is, is really well done. So there's a lot of positives about this book and about the series as a whole that I really like. It's a quick read, so if you want something you can get through in about an hour or so, then definitely pick it up and give it a go. But like I said, there is consistent and unnecessary mention of Obinan not exercising his quote-unquote right to assault his wife, and that ruined, for me, an otherwise really good book. So if you don't want to read that, then then don't read this book. And that brings us to the end of episode four of Love Between the Lines. Be sure, as always, to check out the Instagram page at Love Between Lines and let me know what you think of the review. If you've read the book, let me know what you think of the book. Did you like the same things I liked? Did you find the same things problematic that I found problematic? And definitely if you know of any other historical fiction and historical romance that I would enjoy or that you really enjoyed, comment on that post and let me know because I'm on the hunt now for more historical fiction to delve into. Till next time.